This is James Hahn II, and you're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast, brought to you by Red Wing. This is episode 65.5.1. Point five episodes are my chance to speak with entrepreneurs, executives, and thought leaders from inside and outside the industry to hear their stories, what inspires their work, what culture drives their company, what innovations they're bringing to the oil field. My guest today is John Trueblood, president of Trueblood Resources, Inc. John has been in the industry for nearly 40 years. He began his career working for Amico, which started out as a little company you may have heard of, funded by John D. Rockefeller, called Standard Oil. Amico was acquired and rebranded by British Petroleum in 1998. John eventually moved on to found True Blood Resources to focus on underdeveloped assets in the Anadarko Basin. I would be remiss if I didn't say I love talking to John Trueblood. He is the consummate oilman, one of the tens of thousands of small independent operators who produce nearly 90% of the oil and over 90% of the gas that is produced in the United States of America. He is a shining example of someone who started with nothing and turned nothing into something. He's a deal guy in the truest sense of the phrase and an invaluable addition to any oil pros network. John is based in Denver, Colorado. He joins us via phone where we begin discovering how he got his start in oil and gas. Give us the 50,000 foot view of True Blood Resources. Where are y'all located? What do y'all do? True Blood Resources, uh, I originally started the company in 1988. Uh, we're a family company now. My father, Harry True Blood, uh, who started his career in the late 40s uh, with California Company, which uh, now is uh, Chevron. Uh, I brought him in to this uh, small company, uh, oh gosh, at least 15 years ago, maybe t- uh, 20 now, but about 15. So we're really a family company. Uh, we uh, He's had a, a variety of, of public companies, but, but ultimately somewhat uh, seeing his activity in the public arena with uh, uh, publicly traded uh, companies really decided to stay private. So we're a, a privately held uh, finance uh primarily with the joint ventures with the outside partners that participate in our projects. Uh, sometimes we operate, sometimes we are non-operator. And so it's really my father and I are the, sort of the two sort of key uh, team members. Uh, his background is engineering. My background is uh, land. Then in, in certain parts of Oklahoma, we're uh, focused on the Anadarko Basin and principally the Oklahoma side of the Anadarko Basin is what's traditionally considered an independent oil and gas operator. We also have a longtime partner, uh, Trumark Production Company, had, had done an extensive amount of, of geologic and geophysical work together, uh, pretty much in our niche, which is more the shelf of the Anadarko. Uh, where where so, did you where did you get your start in the oil field? You said your dad started so, in the forties. Uh, I started originally with Amoco Production Company. Uh, Amoco, of course, is owned by British Petroleum now. Uh, some might call it a merger, but they, they really were bought by British Petroleum in, uh, I think it was 2001. So 1980, uh, I started in Denver, Colorado, which uh, at the time was considered the Denver region. Uh, the company Amoco at this office in Denver uh, operated from Oklahoma to Alaska. 
So it was a very, very great uh, position to be in geographically, not only because you were in Denver, which is a desirable place to live, but you had the opportunity to work a lot of different oil and gas basins and a lot of different uh, you know, business climates and the geographies. Uh, so that was terrific, and I did have the opportunity personally to work pretty much from Oklahoma to Alaska myself. And you were doing uh, land? Lot. You were doing land back in, then? In the land department. So originally I was hired as land. My background, my educational background, really was more arts and science. Uh, I studied uh, uh, liberal arts at Lewis and Clark, a small liberal arts college in, in Portland, Oregon, and then ultimately got a business degree from University of Colorado. But really my background was, was really more sort of classical trained education. Uh, decided to go into the oil business principally because two two reasons this is again 1980 uh, i saw uh, opportunities as a young person in terms of a career and then i think probably as much i was very um, uh, attracted to what i thought was the high quality of the people that i met uh, i interviewed extensively never even considered uh, the oil business uh, as a career initially, even though my father had been involved in it for years, nor really at the time even knew what a landman was or did, but ultimately learned and ultimately was hired by Amoco and then stayed there eight and a half years. That's that's um, something that I find with anybody in the oil field. It's always always the people. That's the number one. Well, I think so. It, it's, you know, obviously we're in an interesting t- time right now for many reasons. Uh, as far as whether it's the carbon discussion, whether it's the low commodity price, whether it's the future of oil as, a, as an energy source or not. Ultimately, because the business is so complex and so diverse, both from the scientific standpoint as well as the business and uh, regulatory side, you know, I think there's a real high quality uh, uh, caliber of, of individuals that, that uh, are in this industry and, and have stayed in this industry. And of course, you have characters as always. Uh, that come and go, but but it's I think it's still a very small uh, niche industry in many ways, and, and I run into constantly different people that uh, I, I either know somebody they know, or we've done business with somebody together, or, or it just it's it's and here I, this is I'm almost sixty, so this is you know forty years, almost not quite, it's almost forty years I've been doing this, and so uh, anyway, uh, you know some fundamentals. Uh, are, are not fundamental. Some some parts of the industry are clearly different, but I think the fundamental side is, is there. And so anyway, that's how I got started at Land Department Amico Production Company. Um, Amico was a little unique in that uh, they were always two things. They were extremely uh, about the team, and that when I means geology, geophysics, land, and engineering, as as team members really working closely together, uh, rather than I saw in many of the larger companies that we did uh, joint ventures with at Amico, they, they had to, the land department segregated in one area and the engineers in another, and geology and geophysics were often together. But why, why but hasn't was, why hasn't the industry learned that lesson yet? Because that's still um, true across you know, the board. I, 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 here, here's I'll give you a couple because because you're in the it's, it's, you you I, you know we don't know each other well, but but you seem to me to be fairly current on how to employ the internet and social media and, and sort of how things are, are changing. And, and here's just a quick overview of, of, of my you know, small observation of that. The industry, I think, is better now, but has struggled with, with change in many ways. It, it's, a, it's a, obviously an old industrial industry. 
Uh, it was dominated by males for many, many years, white males. Uh, that's obviously way changed in the last, you know, 30 years or so. Uh, and, um, you know, it was the coat and tie, and, and of course that all changed too. And, and, and I think, and again, it obviously depends on each company, but I'll, I'll just use Amoco because that was my example of a large just, uh, uh, legacy, uh, big U.S. corporation in the oil and, and, and natural gas business, both upstream and downstream. Amoco always struggled with, they were really great at hiring really great talent. But they struggled at, at, and they're really good at developing you. In other words, training you and sending you to official schools and giving you an incredible amount of autonomy. But how to bring you along with what I call more matters of the heart. And, and I don't mean just sort of touchy-feely things, but how is it you motivate people, work environment, how you structure flexibility, how you use sort of uh, modern changes in, 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 in communication, how the world's relating to it with, with each other. I, I saw it, it – it, too much fortress building. Now, that still goes on, I think, in large companies. But let me give you one other brief example of a historic company. We did extensive business with the 3M company for a number of years, developing an enhanced recovery product uh, for uh, with the University of Texas, and a guy named Gary Pope, and then several uh, uh, people at 3M. So we had the opportunity as a small company to spend a lot of time at 3M. And it was fun for me because this had been like, 15 years or 20 years maybe after I'd started True Blood Resources. So I'd you know, been a small operator in, in a small, more entrepreneurial role, and yet my, my, my training and my foundation, Amico, always stays with me because I think it's extraordinarily valuable. So I was able to understand how 3M was operating and thinking in the meetings and the teams and the, and the managers and the hierarchy and the politics, et cetera. But one thing that 3M that I noticed right away that they did – was all their new technologies that they developed, and 3M's more of really a product development company than they are a research company. They want to, you know, put push products out to you and I as consumers, whether industrial or you know retail, if you will. All of the technology that any group of 3M ever developed was owned by corporate. So even though they had, you know, all these individual divisions that were competing for each other with budgets, et cetera, these sort of new ideas and new types of of, of, of products could flow freely between all parts of the company and all the different divisions. So that's exactly how those sticky notes were developed. It was really with collaboration somewhat by chance between Heath's group and some, some other products division group, and they put it together, and it ended up being, of course, an extraordinary success financially for them. And I really admired that. I, I, I told my uh, Harvard professors that, that, that you know they should – uh, really use 3M as, as, as another business model, you know, because Harvard's really big on those case studies. I did one of those executive management things with them, and 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 and, and it was it was I thought it was unique. I never saw that at Amoco. Now maybe they do it now. I don't know. I don't spend a, much time inside the big companies anymore. But but uh, so you know, I don't. know. That's how I see it. Versus, and again, I don't work at Google or, or Apple or something. But but uh, it, it's. I think a different work environment, uh, uh, Under Armour. I mean, these are different types of companies. So I think it's changing, sort of. Uh, I, I, I believe having more women in, in, in management capacities in our industry is probably good. It's a little tricky in the field because the oil and gas field is still pretty pretty basic. It's a little frontiersy-like still. I mean, less so because you have you know, much more comforts out there, and, and, and obviously communication is so much better. 
but it, but anyway, we're getting better. Uh, I'll give you another example. I know you're big in SEO, you know, search engine optimization, and you know, I I don't see that as much really in, in our industry. I, I again, I think it's changing. But one thing that's really good about our industry, I believe, and that is is that the amount of collaboration is still enormous. And the amount of, I guess, just sort of traditional networking is still very deep, and and you're always dealing with other people. Maybe it changed a little bit because you have private equity now that, that seems to want to own 100% of what they do, so they have a bigger exit, I, I, I'm assuming. But it wasn't long ago, and we still do this to this day, we always want to get partners. If I have a 25% interest in, a, in an oil field, I'm thrilled because the risk side of this business is still very much there, notwithstanding the technologies, horizontal drilling being the, the biggest, that, that is, you know, maybe is reduced risk. But I still believe that if you really analyze all the capital that's been spent in the last 10 years with a you know, huge amount before the commodity price uh, uh, went down so fast, you, you, you still see certain areas that really are a true business success probably many that aren't. And, and so that part really hasn't changed because, again, I don't think that in our business, notwithstanding the technology, we really measure the earth as well as we think we do or even uh, hope we do, and, and therefore we're often wrong with our models. And if you're wrong with the models, I think having diversification in, in your partners and some of the pro projects you do uh, and, and a really extensive local knowledge, uh, that's what we decided to do, just really focus on an area that we thought had the fundamentals geologically and from a business climate that really had a long-term uh, uh, possibility uh, to develop a great business. So I'm, and, I'm and curious to hear your thoughts because I, I run into this every now and again in the oil field where I talk to a business owner who, who they're, they're a small independent, you being a small independent, it took me a long time to learn that everyone has different goals and not everyone wants to become Exxon or even uh, mid-level independent or anything like that. How has your business developed around the thoughts of leanness versus size? Uh, well, fundamentally, uh, uh, we have adapted somewhat to how the industry is changing now the only the exception to that and and, and it may change and i'm as, a, as an owner or the, the the leader of this small company and so you know there's five of us that that's our size and we have you know some other people that we bolt on that we've done business with but the, the, the core team's five and, and uh because the projects are getting larger the capital needs are greater uh, it's a little unusual. However, there's there's still different niches. So our biggest, our mind, really, even my father's a little different. I mean, he's built larger empires than I have. But I think for 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 me as developing this company, there was there's two things that are most important to me, and 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 it kind of went back to my father. And maybe this sounds a little hokey, but one thing my father said: go out and create something for somebody other than yourself. And so the sort of the spirit of that, of when we went into this little small area of Oklahoma that was kind of overlooked, and I went into it originally uh, because I saw it as being way underworked geologically with Amoco. And so what we, what our goal has always been, and, and I'm not sure completely remains there, I, I'm, I'm debating now, 
was to carve out a nice niche area where we'd be a moderate-sized company, profitable, and that's been you know challenging. I mean, sometimes we have great years. Of course, then the tax laws in this country don't really uh, support small business owners to be able to keep their capital, which is another subject. But but really, we're more interested in, in, in being smaller. I think part of that reason was my father actually had gotten fairly large in some of his companies, and he had a couple of deals that fell through that he really had done, and I won't go into the details of that. But really, just with his but, uh, what's the right term with it? The history of observing what he'd experienced. I just decided I, I really, my most important thing is to have quality people around me. So whether it was the landowners that I'm doing business with, you don't always have choices with all that, but, but sometimes you do. And, and, and so were the mineral owners and how we got to know them well and how they were really brought into a partnership with us rather than I'm just going to go out and, you know, overpay them for a lease and give them a lousy piece of paper and, flip it five times and, and too bad for whoever you know holds it. But really more, I'm going to come into your neighborhood with the strategy that I think the fundamentals of your neighborhood are, as I said earlier, worth me putting risk capital in. And I want to carve out a long-term relationship where I could continue to, to, to do business with you. And so that that was probably partly driven by my land background because so much of that is out in the public Dealing with people, having to uh, uh, what's the right term? Have relationships where, where people aren't mad at you. You know, trying to you know keep keep you know stay out of out of out of, out of issues. Whether you know somebody's want you know it's a somebody doesn't like it, they want to sue you, or or it's you know just somebody disagrees with how you're doing something, or, or, or so that was a really good people around us in a really good neighborhood, and then how we carved out our growth and that. Was was somewhat uh, project driven. Now we've gotten a lot bigger. Uh, we also have a lot more overhead. Now, not in terms of staff, but in terms of projects. To just put that in perspective, I used to drill uh, at the beginning. I drill a, a 640 acre section, gather up a few individuals. We drilled some wells, and then a big project would be two or three thousand acres. And, and then and then finally, in the last project, which was what we're involved in now, we have we have a a footprint in about 40,000 acres. Uh, and so, you know, that gives you this, the size. And, and again, but part of that was driven also with what the industry was looking for. So the only thing we haven't done, and, and we may still do this, and we're open to it, is do we eventually uh, partner up uh, uh, with uh, another group and get private equity backing and then start pursuing projects? And, and, and we might. Uh, it's, it's clearly a dominant uh, uh, source of income. Some uh, really like it. Uh, um, I just talked to my cousin who's involved in Lime Rock and, and, and may do some work with him. And they're, they've been, uh, I think, not real old, but maybe five years, but maybe more, but had portfolio teams. And, 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 and talked to one of his guys that he'd backed, and he was just thrilled. And then I've talked to others that are very, very disappointed. And, and ultimately, again, our current strategy is why we haven't worried about growing too quickly is is that, that we want to have a little bit more um, uh, say over you know, what we do and who we do business with. And so really what we've been targeting, and, and that was our last joint venture, was uh, with really family companies, uh, larger than ours, probably that have a larger operating staff, can take on a, a real scalable project and see it through. We can put it together. We can initiate it. 
we can get it to a point where we've de-risked it partly, but we're really not at the point right now staff-wise where we could take a, you know, a, we, we can't put on a, a, a drilling program where we're drilling three wells a month or something. That's just, that's just not, we don't have, the, we don't have the, the, the manpower. And so we, so, so that by itself limited a little bit of what we decided as far as growth. What could we do well within our limitations as far as capital and staff? And we ultimately said, stay in Oklahoma, stay in the Anadarko Basin, principally the shelf of the Anadarko because it's not so price sensitive. It's a moderate depth. So when the commodity price plummets, our projects can still look attractive, and, and that's uh, starting to be of interest. The industry, I think, is is moving a little out of rigor mortis now, being so tight with their their choices and capital. Well, that, that was going to be that was going to be my next question. How has the low crude price affected your decision making and your strategy over the last couple of years, or even well, twelve months? Uh, for, for us directly, because we're incubators, all right. We're putting. We're, as my grandfather used to say, we load the truck. So we're, we're, we load the truck so the, the the asset guys could drive it away with some some, some uh, something worth of value. And because we're incubators and we're early stage, um, uh, it, it it's it, it's all about timing, really, on where you are in that phase. So in '08, when it collapsed. Uh, we were in the phase where we'd actually sold a large project, uh, had commitments. Uh, the company at the time struggled with meeting the commitments to us, but we worked it through over time. So we were on what I call that side of the trade where we had the, the deal committed, and, and, and then it was, it was basically uh, how, how are we going to develop it over time and how do we have to modify the deployment of capital when we would deploy it, how much, et cetera, based on the market, which at that time, again, as you remember, was sort of a worldwide – demise, you know, driven by the uh, financial industry more. Okay, so that was 08, and then it, you know, creeped out. So, so we, we continued with, with that and um, never really got into the helter-skelter that the industry did with just, you know, nonstop drilling, uh, some of which one could debate at at this point, and some of which was, was quite quite good because it developed new assets. And so then enter 14, summer 14, we are in a a great joint venture uh, with Newborn Oil Company at the time. A great project, early stage. Uh, had some learning curve challenges on the on the you know how to complete wells, and it was it was alluring, but it but it was was sort of on the edge of what do we do next? Okay, in terms of how many more wells you're going to drill, how you're going to change things. Then entered the really rapid decline in commodity prices. We had two other deals uh, going to expand, uh, really about closed and we were in serious negotiations they didn't so then we found ourselves with projects that we kind of had back in our lap and that's not uncommon in this industry i'm sure other people you've talked to and uh have voiced that or they will if if you haven't heard it and and so what we then did how it affected us directly is what we did is first of all we we got our gna way under control first thing my father said all you can do is control your, your 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 costs and we've always been lean, but really, how do we, you know, every 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 single part of efficiencies, which in the oil industry, I think we've struggled with. Uh, we 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 it's either too much or too little, uh, and we we struggle with how do we really budget things? What's really true value for 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 not only personnel but for services, uh, with, you know, or even le- oil and gas leases for that matter? So we've got our GNA under control. And then we went back and we just strategically started to bolt onto our existing assets that we liked, more pieces of it. So 
if we saw a stabilization in oil uh, prices, that we'd be in a, in, a, we'd in, a, in a good position to begin gather up or, or, or show our projects to prospective purchasers. And it would be even more interesting because we potentially would have more, own more of it or we did some more additional technical work to uh, understand you know, what it is we'd learned in the past and, and what we would do going forward. So that's what we did. And then the other part, we went back to some of the legacy assets of which, you know, they're small. We sold a lot of, uh, of our properties in 08. We needed the capital at the time, and we were fortunate because it was before the gas price collapsed. Uh, so, so, you know, it was a you know, pretty moderate amount. But we went back and we, we took some of the new science we'd learned on these big projects and went back to these old vertical wells and decided, you know, what can we do with them technically? There are things, some things we missed. And so with a very modest amount of capital, uh, could we go back in and, and turn this into a much bigger asset? So that's more what we've been focused on. And then in last summer in 15, when, again, oil got up to almost 60 bucks or maybe into the 60s, as I remember, we, we were starting to seriously discuss again, moving forward, the prices in the field for services had finally come down. That was probably the, one of the biggest issues for many people, that the oil price collapsed, or the commodity price collapsed, yet the price of doing business didn't collapse as quickly. And over time, though, that uh, came way or has come way down. You know, no one debates what, what but 30% is probably a number now, depending on what service you need. So that began to make the whole cost of doing business more appropriate. So we pur purposely shut back, saying, okay, or, 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 sh or shut things down, saying, all right, let's just let everything settle down. But then, of course, things have gone on at least longer than we had, frankly, anticipated or, or, or envisioned. Uh, I don't know where we're at now. You know, all of a sudden we seem to see a little bit of a uh, tightening. Uh, my father believes that because – uh, WTI is really more of a financial instrument than an actual uh, physical barrel anymore. But there's some other pieces of this puzzle that, that have to do with, you know, the, the shorts dominating the price of oil always going down. We'll just have to see how that unfolds. Uh, I think he's right, personally, and I think he's seen it because he knows Wall Street so well, having had seven public companies. But, but we'll see. But in the meantime, those of us that are actually trying to do business now find it extremely hard to make any type of economic forecasting. As to where we want to deploy capital, and why? So, so those that have it are, are you know, I think, relatively cautious. Uh, maybe the private equity guys that have quote dry powder, uh, you know, they're I don't know, you know, they're all looking for the perfect deal. I haven't personally seen one of those, I, uh, <laughs> but 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 I guess they're there. And ours surely is not a perfect deal, but it's extremely interesting, and we've had huge interest in it in many ways. But nobody stepped up in last summer when we really had the deal. Pretty well done again with, with again another. It wasn't a family company, but it was a, it was a small independent operator that was well, not that small, but they're you know they're relatively small, but really efficient and real great thinkers and had good capital and good access to partners of capital. But again, it was it wasn't driven by by investment banking. It was driven by 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 people that, that were making money in, at the field level, producing and selling oil and natural gas and operating their properties efficiently and doing good science and, and, and buying the leases right and not just throwing money at stuff, dressing it up. And, and of course, it looks good, flip it, and then whoever gets it, it may or may not be good for them. And, and so that we had it done, that, and they were in our niche. So they were looking to 
to uh, shorten their entry, shorten their cost of entry, shorten their learning curve, which is really what we have to sell because we, we have such much local knowledge in our area. And we were just whispers away from getting that deal underway. And the price in, in, the, in the, this is the end of June of 15. And between that and, and right after the 4th of July, the price had collapsed, I think, in a week, like almost 20%. And it was going down, down. And and they just said, you know, this is our niche. We take this in a heartbeat, but we're not going to expand out of our niche right now. Boom, dead. Okay. <laughs> well, so, so yeah, so, that, so. that that had to have been painful. Um, and that's what I love about the format that we're doing this interview in in podcasting. We started off talking about networking and the ability of a podcast to be able to network with hundreds or even thousands of people at one time when you're not there. And so I guess I'll close with this question. If someone was listening to this and wanted to reach out to you, what, what would you, what, what would be a good networking call for you to receive? Well, uh, about a year ago, roughly now, we, 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 we have an, uh, a website called, uh, anadarkobasinproducer.com. And, and we, it is, very, very robust and transparent. We have numerous videos on it uh, tied into YouTube, um, and and it's a great uh, immediate uh, view of some of the things we've done and who we are and some of our philosophies. We even have you know some personal things on some of the philanthropic uh, activities we've been involved in for many, many years. My father's had a foundation for years, so. So again, I, I believe the internet. I believe social media. You know, I, I, I've got my LinkedIn. You know, probably not quite to your level, but <laughs> I got the LinkedIn. I, I started doing more Facebook with my landowners. Uh, it's probably less with my business associates, but Facebook, LinkedIn. You know, I don't do Instagram too much, but 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 big time on video. Video is just one reason I thought this would be beneficial for all of us. You content for you and exposure for us, and, and so. Uh, we, we uh, you know, we're really, really easy to find, okay? <laughs> if, you, if you Google, thank goodness, if you Google Anadarko Basin Operator, we show up uh, usually on the first page. If you Google Anadarko Basin Experts, we're usually on the first page. Uh, uh, Anadarko Basin uh, Oil Prospects, I can't remember if we're on those, but I think so. Um, uh, but Anadarko Basin Producer, our production will show up a lot. Uh, so, so anyway, I, I, the, with us again, we've we've been for 25 years uh, in this area. We have an enormous uh, technical database. Uh, we've got many, many relationships. We 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 kind of continue to go around these different uh, communities in Northwest Oklahoma as we come up with new geologic reasons to to uh, explore for something new. And, and, you know, we're, we're around oil and gas fields. It's not like we're, you know, I don't know if wildcats even exist these days, but, you know, we're, we're in a very mature basin, extensive data, a lot of production, great infrastructure, pretty, pretty solid regulatory climate. And we're not in the earthquake zone, so we don't have that problem. You know, that's, 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 that's looming where they've been, been injecting the brine waters into the basement down there by the Hunton in central Oklahoma. We don't have that issue in our area, fortunately. We don't do that, but but uh, anyway, so that's that's how they they could they could find us. We're 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 very very transparent. Now the the, the flip side of that is I, I get you know seven emails a day from the guy in Zimbabwe or whatever that wants to put money <laughs> in my account. But and that part you know I mean it's a, it's just it's just annoying. I mean I it, it's getting worse. I mean the, the more the more I'm on YouTube, <laughs> and and the more I'm I'm, I'm uh, Google loves me. Google Google actually is not you know, Google's pretty happy with us. 
And so the more that Google loves me, the more <laughs> the more the more you hate your inbox. <laughs> oh my God! I mean, I tell my office, do not open anything, and they're all you know they're they're all you know they're all frustrated. I just said that's just the way. If you are on the internet and you are visible, which we must be, because we're we're. We're, we're, it's not so much we're trying to find somebody totally new always, but somebody that we we, we may have forgotten. I'm, I'm doing it right now. I'm about to do – I'm seeing them next week. I'm in a, a two companies, uh, one next week and the week after that are that are uh, been around for many, many years. One in particular is like third or fourth generation. And I've done some deals with them and kind of and, – and, and, and was pretty serious uh, oh, a couple of years ago about another deal and then sort of forgot about them. And then all of a sudden, I think through LinkedIn – this guy pops up who I'd never done business with. He was their BD guy, and I'm thinking, shoot, I need to give those guys a call. They're they're, they're precisely that you know. Again, it's a, a very very uh, uh, great legacy company, great reputation. Uh, needs an operated deal now. I, I talked to some people I knew that that, that had worked there uh, that were now in a separate company that spun off to find find out some more details because I had done a lot of work with this guy. And so I networked with him, and he said, yeah, boom, next time I'm going to be in their office. They may not buy the deal, but they're the kind of company I'm looking for. Well, anybody out there who wants to have a great conversation with somebody in the Anandarko Basin, I certainly encourage them to reach out to you, Mr. Trueblood. We will have all of your contact information in the show notes. And thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. It's been a great, okay. great conversation. Okay, real, real pl- Real real pleasure to have the opportunity. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this point five episode of the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by Red Wing. You can find the show notes for this episode, which include links to everything we talked about and John's contact information at triberocket.com forward slash TWJTB. You can also leave any comments you have about this episode there and that's triberocket.com forward slash TWJTB. Join us again next time when we talk to Ben Facker, Senior Director of Novos Strategy and Development, and Tony Pink, Vice President of Dynamic Drilling Solutions at National Oil Well Varco, about the outrageous efficiency gains you can make by giving your drillers autopilot. We can do it because we have controlled data, down, downhole data, and we have controlled processes. So we take out the human error on the surface. We take out the differential between knowing what is going on in the well downhole and what's going on at the surface. It's, it's, it's so integrated. It's really, really fantastic. Yeah. Until then, go find some grease, guys. <laughs> <laughs>